This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Psalm 33. This is God's word for us today. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Amen. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Recently, I've been reading multiple studies and articles about an epidemic we are living in today as a nation. It's an epidemic of anxiety. One article from a medical journal about the astronomical growth in anti-anxiety medication said this. It said, for many, anxiety is an ever-present, uninvited guest in our circle of friends, among family members, and in communities at large. 
It seems to be rampaging through society like a contagious cognitive plague, forming a low-level hum that hides in the corners of our collective minds. I thought that was very poetic for a medical journal. Rampaging through society like a low-level hum, constantly there. Anxiety seems to be the air we breathe. We are an anxious people, which is ironic because we live in one of the most prosperous and safest times in history. And yet we're anxious all the time. It really is a heart issue. It's not about our circumstances. It's a growing concern and a problem across all age groups, all segments of society. But the largest growth in anxiety issues is among youth and college students. Among teenagers, anxiety is called the mental health tsunami of their generation. 70% of teenagers say anxiety is a major problem in their life. 26% said that it's a minor problem. So I think if I'm doing my math right, only 4% of teenagers don't wrestle with anxiety. Two-thirds of college students battle overwhelming anxiety. Anxiety and fear is seen as a disease and professionals are seeking to medicate it away and see we, we see this astronomical growth and this anti-anxiety medication being prescribed. And I'm not saying they're not necessary and helpful at times, but they're not the ultimate solution to our anxiety. There is a deeper issue underlying this low-level hum that is rampaging through society. This is what Michael Reeves says in his wonderful little book, Rejoice and Tremble. He says, the loss of the fear of God is what ushered in our modern age of anxiety. But the fear of God is the very antidote to our fretfulness. Anxiety grows best in the soil of unbelief. It withers in contact with faith, and faith is fertilized by the fear of God. What a picture. I love that. I think we're going to see that in our text today. The, the faith and the joy and the trust and the freedom that comes as a result of fearing the Lord. Anxiety is one issue we wrestle with that the fear of God can transform. But it's just one of many. The fear of the Lord affects every area of our lives. And I think the main point we're going to see from Psalm 33 is this. To fear the Lord is always good counsel for our soul. It's always good counsel for our soul. And so often we forget that and we run to other things and other counsel. But to fear the Lord is always good counsel for our soul. And Psalm 33 is going to show us what it means to fear the Lord and the impact and effect that it has on our lives. Point number one, an invitation to fear the Lord. You are invited. Psalm 33 is calling you. It's inviting you 
to come and fear the Lord. In verses 1 through 3, look down at verses 1 through 3 of this psalm. He's calling God's people to worship. He tells them, shout for joy. Give thanks to the Lord. Make melody to him. Sing to him. Play instruments to him. And I love this phrase we see in verse 1. Praise befits the upright. We never have to wonder when we are praising God if we're doing the right thing. It fits us perfectly. A few weeks ago, I had my 45th birthday. And for my birthday, my wife thoughtfully bought me some new clothes for my birthday. She said she was trying to update my style. Uh, I told her this was a hopeless mission. Uh, I've worn the same thing since college, and I like it that way. But she bought me some new clothes, and of course, she brought them to me, and of course, I had to try them on for her. Listen, as a dude, this is so embarrassing. It's like one of the most embarrassing moments. The whole family sitting out there. I come out, I come out of the bedroom with my new clothes on, you know. <sighs> you know, they look at you. Okay, turn around. <laughs> Lift up your shirt. Okay. It's just embarrassing, you know. And of course, nothing fit. It just, they weren't my clothes, you know. It didn't, they didn't fit right. They just, they, they just were wrong and didn't fit. We took all of them back. It's just a whole, I told you, it's a hopeless mission. Listen, there are things that we do as Christians that don't fit us. They don't feel right. You know this feeling of this isn't right. This isn't good. Praising God always fits us. That's what he's saying. This is right. This is good. You don't have to wonder. You just, first time you start singing, you know this is right and good. It always fits. And in, and in this context in Psalm 33 of praising the Lord, he calls us. Part of praising God is fearing the Lord. These things are synonymous. It's the same thing. Look at verse 8. When he calls us and he says, let all the earth fear the Lord. This is such a helpful topic because we can easily misunderstand what the fear of the Lord is because this term isn't in popular use today. It can be confusing. And if we misunderstand what the fear of the Lord is, then we think it doesn't apply to us as Christians, which is not true. It's so helpful. When we, when we speak of fear, we're talking about usually how we use that word is we're talking about something we're afraid of. When we use the word fear, we're afraid of something. And if we're afraid of something, we usually want to avoid it. If you are afraid of heights, you're not going to hop on the drop line at Dollywood. You're going to avoid that ride. If you're afraid of clowns right here, you're not going to go to the circus. That's, that's, that's how we think of fear. But that's not the way the Bible describes the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It says that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 14, 27. Ecclesiastes says that to fear God and keep his commandments is the whole duty of a man. Psalm 25 
says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The church in Acts chapter 9, when it is prospering, it's described as walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So you you can see in Scripture, it's a positive thing in Scripture. It's not a negative thing. To fear the Lord is, is not a negative attribute. It's a positive thing that Scripture calls us to do. And verse 8 is so helpful because it defines it well for us. Look down to verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. And then it gets into more detail. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. To fear the Lord is to stand in awe of his greatness and majesty and sovereignty and wisdom. Jerry Bridges calls it reverential awe. It's being amazed by God. It's seeing how great and powerful and mighty God is. To fear the Lord is to have a worldview with God at the center of it. It's a God-centered, seek God first, loving God with all of our heart worldview. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It's all-encompassing. It's a disposition to go to God first. That's why it applies to every area where we need counsel. If I need counsel, I need to go to the Lord. With every trouble, every struggle, every sin, every anxiety, when we're feeling low, we go to God first and we seek him. We go to his word and we search it for help. This is what it means to fear the Lord. It's a God-centered worldview. It's a positive thing. This is what Ed Welch says. Another wonderful little book called a a small book for the anxious heart. He says, you could almost substitute love for the Lord for fear of the Lord. But fear emphasizes that God is not like us. He alone is God and has all rights to our lives. Fear includes awe and amazement that attract us to him like, like a magnet. The fear of the Lord runs to the Lord rather than away from him because we need someone much grander than ourselves. This is a good word for the anxious heart. Don't run from the Lord. The fear of the Lord means we run to him with our fears. We run to him with our anxieties. It attracts us to God because we see he's greater than us. He can actually help us. And Psalm 33 invites us to worship the Lord, to fear him, to run to him, to know him which is always good counsel for our souls because our tendency, my tendency in my struggles and sin is to get inward focused. I start spiraling inward. I I start thinking about all the struggles going on. I think that's the temptation with anxiety. It breeds more anxiety. We become anxious about how anxious we are. Something's coming and we think, I'm going to get anxious about that. Oh no, I'm anxious about getting anxious. And we just start, man, the, the, the quarter goes down that little thing. Remember Taco Bell used to have that thing, the quarter goes in and it would just go down. That's what happens in our sin and struggles. We just start spiraling inward. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a, a wonderful section on this in his book, Spiritual Depression. 
he says what happens is we begin to examine ourselves to see what's going on with us. And this leads to introspection where we're always talking about our problems and our struggles and our troubles, and we're all the time centered on ourselves. That's what happens. And Lloyd-Jones says this, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You must say to your soul, hope thou in God. See, there's a turn there. You're spiraling in. You say to your soul, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who God is, what God is, and what God has done. And what God has pledged himself to do. This is what it means to fear the Lord. I would say the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to fear the Lord. Instead of spiraling in, we direct our gaze up and we go to God first. Thankfully, if this is the art of spiritual living, Psalm 33 gives us reasons to fear the Lord. The psalmist walks through for us. Here's, here's how to think about God. Here's thoughts you can counsel your soul with about God so you can fear him in your struggles. Point number two, reasons to fear the Lord. So the psalm calls us, it invites us to fear God. And now he's going to give us reasons to fear the Lord. We're going to see four reasons to fear the Lord with application for counsel to our souls. Okay, first one we see is God's perfect power. It's a reason to fear the Lord, his perfect power. Look at verse 6 with me again, verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and he, it stood firm. By his word, the heavens were made by his breath. God's breath brought forth the universe. He spoke a word and it all came to be. He gathers the waters of the earth as a heap. He holds them in his hand like we hold a cup of water. These pictures are meant to help us see the greatness of God, the power of God, the majesty of God for his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, Romans 1 tells us. Everybody sees God is powerful and amazing and he is bigger than we are. This summer, we got to take a trip with my extended family to Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon and the Grand Canyon. And the first day we're driving into Zion National Park, within the first hour, we, find our, we found ourselves saying this over and over. Wow! Whoa! Wow! Whoa! Wow! 
And we said, man, we got to come up with some better adjectives. This, we're like one hour into this week-long trip. This is already getting old. And so, of course, my, my wife, Elizabeth, created a game where we had to use the whole alphabet and create an adjective beginning with A, going all the way to Z. And the kids thought, this is summer. There's no way I'm playing a game. And what is an adjective anyway? I don't even know what that is. But she did it by herself in her mind. She just said, I'm going to play this game. <laughs> and so she was sitting there just, hmm, you know, like, this is awesome. This is beautiful. And uh, she finished the whole alphabet in under 30 minutes with adjectives because we respond to greatness. I mean, we see these things. We're just, uh, wow. You know, we just want to respond to something bigger than us. And on this trip, what we kept trying to remember we're trying to help ourselves think about God is, is what we're looking at here, the Grand Canyon and Zion and, and Bryce Canyon. It's huge to us, but it's tiny to God. We just kept thinking about that. And if we can't come up with words to describe the, this tiny thing to God, I mean, how, how speechless are we before the Lord who is holy, 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 who created this with his breath? Listen, it's good counsel for your soul. It's good for our souls to remember how great God is. Fear the Lord. Remember how great he is. It's, it puts things in perspective, put things to us that seem huge and insurmountable. They're not insurmountable to God. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's just good for our souls to remember how great the Lord is. That's what it means to fear the Lord. We look at the stars, we look around us, and we think, the Lord did this with a breath. Surely he can help me in my struggles. Theologians call this general revelation because all people have access to this knowledge of God. But we also have special revelation, God's word and his specific counsel to his people. The second reason to fear the Lord is God's perfect counsel. We see this in verses 10 through 12. We see his power, his word creating all things, and then we see his word as it applies to our lives. Look down at verse 10 and 11 with me. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So we see this contrast in verses 10 and 11. We have the counsel of the nations. We have this worldly counsel. And we have the counsel of the Lord. God frustrates the plans and the counsel of the nations and his counsel stands forever. I would say the world's counsel, the counsel of the nations, it feels like it changes almost daily. I mean, it is just shifting sand. And this, this is a silly illustration. There's so many serious illustrations. This is a silly one, but I thought about this. And what I thought about is our diet. I thought, man, this counsel changes every single day. It used to be a low-fat diet. That was just kind of like you do a low-fat diet. No, 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 no. That changed. Now it's low-carb, high-fat diet. You want more fat in your diet. And then they said, no, 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 no. 
You want plant-based, organic, vegetarian diet. That's what's good for you. And then someone came along and said, no, 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 no. You don't want that. You want the meat eater diet. You want the Ron Swanson diet. It's just meat 24-7, no carbs, no plants. That's the diet. And then someone came along and said, no, 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 no. It's sugar you want to avoid. It causes inflammation. You really shouldn't be eating sugar. And then you eat these artificial sweeteners. And then someone comes along and say, no, 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 no. It's the artificial sweeteners that are killing you. You want to be eating sugar. And then someone recently came along and said, you know, seed oils are poisoning you. I don't even know what those are, but I'm sure I'm eating a lot of them every day. So I'm, I'm dying daily. It, it, it's just, it changes every day. And that's a humorous example, sort of, you know, it does have consequences, but that goes for tons of areas of our life, areas that are very serious subjects. I mean, just see, just listen to what's going on in the world, and you will see how drastically the council has shifted over the last 30 years. Uh, over the last 10 years, over the last five years, drastically different council. And I promise you it will change in the next five to 10 years. It is shifting sand. It is unstable. No wonder teens are so anxious. They don't even know what to eat every day. You know, everything's going to kill them. But it's just shifting sand. The world's council Man, it's inconsistent. It changes year by year. Listen to this promise in verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Doesn't that just refresh your soul? It's true. It's true for you. The counsel of the Lord is true for you. And not only is it true for you, but it's true for your children. Not only is it true for your children, it's true for your children's children. Not only is it true for your children's children, it's going to be true for your children's 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 children's. Just keep going on forever because verse 11 says it goes to all generations. It stands forever. God's word is a solid rock from one generation to the next. It proves true. It's a reason to fear the Lord. That's what he's saying in our text. Okay, an application of the fear of the Lord is we, we want to line ourselves up with God's counsel. If this counsel of the world is shifting and changing and you are following it, man, you are on a turbulent road, okay? Prepare to get nauseous. But God's word is a straight line that proves true forever. And sadly, sadly, too many Christians are looking to the world for their counsel and they're turning away from God's counsel. They're not fearing the Lord. I've increasingly become concerned as a pastor as I watch Christians lose the sufficiency of God's word. Listen, th that means that this has everything we need for life and godliness. God has spoken to us everything we need to glorify him and honor him and help for our souls. That doesn't mean there isn't counsel out there that is helpful and can serve us. But what it does mean is we have to sift all that counsel through this counsel right here. This counsel stands forever. If I'm getting counsel, it has to go through here before I'm going to receive it into my soul. And when these councils disagree with each other, 
Well, I'm with God's forever counsel. I'm not going for your ride with you on this road. I'm staying right here with God's word. This applies to our struggles with sin. This applies to our anxieties, our temptations, how we grow. It applies to our relationships, our marriage, our parenting, our friendships, our ethics, our speech, our finances, how we glorify God as men and women, what Jake was announcing through the foundry and legacy, our work. God's word addresses all of these areas and many more. And when a counselor or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker gives you counsel, you measure it by this counsel right here. This is what it sifts through. This is a filter for everything we hear. A simple question to ask of any counsel. This is a simple application point. Simple question to ask of any counsel is what does God say about that? What does God say? Does that, does that agree with God's word? Would, would God's word agree with what you're telling me? If you are battling anxiety, is, is the counsel you're getting to fear the Lord? Because that's good counsel from God's word. And sadly, that's not what's happening out there. Their first point is not saying, do you fear the Lord? Are you aware of God? God's power, God's grace, God's work? Are you directing your gaze to God? That's the counsel we need. We want to line ourselves up with God's word as we receive counsel. Another application point is flipping the roles here. As we give counsel to others, we need to fear the Lord as others bring their struggles to us and humbly ask us for input and help. We need to make sure our counsel lines up with God's counsel. That's why our, our biblical counseling team works so hard to study God's word. They meet and they study God's word and they want to make sure their counsel lines up with God's counsel because they fear the Lord. As they sit with you and help you and pray for you, they fear the Lord. They want to direct you to God and his counsel. Man, God has perfect counsel. It's a reason to fear the Lord because he's revealed the truth to us. Third reason to fear the Lord, God's perfect knowledge. Verses 13 through 15. Look at verse 13 with me. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Do you notice in those verses the repetition of the word all? All the children of man, all the inhabitants of the earth, the hearts of them all, all their deeds. Are you getting the message? God knows everything. He has perfect knowledge. Have you ever had that feeling that you're being watched by somebody? You know that creepy feeling when you just have that thought somebody's watching you? And then you kind of look around in public and you meet eyes with somebody and realize they are watching me? And then you kind of look away because it's awkward and you glance back and they're looking at you again and that awkward moment, it's, it's creepy, you know? Well, I hate to tell you this, but in a real sense, you are being watched all the time. But the point 
The point of the psalm is not be afraid. God is watching you. The point is take heart. God is watching over you. He has perfect knowledge. He knows everything. God watching everything, knowing everything is a comfort to the psalmist, not a threat. It's not creepy, but comforting. This is what James Johnston says in his commentary. He says this complete knowledge is terrifying to those who do not know God. But God's complete knowledge is an immense comfort to his people. If God knows everything, he can protect us from everything and provide in every situation. It's a comfort to us. It, it relieves our anxieties and fears when we can say God knows. God knows. God's in control. God knows. When God tells us in his word, do not fear, it's not like God is an angry father yelling at us, quit being afraid. Why are you so afraid? Quit that. That's not how God talks to us. When he says, do not be afraid, do not fear, it's like a father taking our hand and holding us and saying, you don't have to be afraid. You're with me. I've got you. I'm bigger than you. I know. I will protect you. I'm going to watch out of you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to comfort you with my presence and my power. I know exactly what I'm doing. Just think about the application of the perfect knowledge of God towards our anxieties, the things that we're concerned about and fearful about. So often, they're things that we are uncertain about. Our futures, being harmed, you know, our, our finances, our children, losing our jobs, sickness, disease. We're, we're fearful of these things. We're anxious about these things because we are uncertain of what is going to happen. Listen, I can't remove the uncertainty for you, but I can tell you there's no uncertainty with God. God sees. God knows. He has perfect knowledge. He is watching over those areas. Verse 18, for those who fear the Lord, his eyes are on you. He's watching over you. He's not missing any details. Nothing can take God by surprise. This is meant to comfort us. This is what it means to fear the Lord. Okay, you have perfect knowledge. This is counsel for our souls, the perfect knowledge of God. You have to remind yourself what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Remind yourself who God is. God knows what's going to happen. God knows my future. God knows exactly what's coming. God can help me when that comes. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to think about that. God knows. God can deliver me. God can protect me. This is what it looks like day by day to fear the Lord. He has power. He has perfect counsel. He has perfect knowledge. And finally, God has perfect control. Verses 16 through 19. I love these verses because our tendency is to put our hope in our resources when we're struggling. Okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to fix? How can I get better at this? What can I do to fix this area? And those are not things that we don't get to eventually, but we start with God. 
And the psalmist reminds us, God has the power to help us. Look at verse 16. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. You have a great army? That's not going to save you. You have, a, you're a great warrior. That doesn't mean you're going to win. See Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Judges 7 is a great illustration of this. Remember, when God's people were going up against all the armies of the east, and they had 32,000 people to fight, and God told them, this is too many. Because if you win, you're going to say, we did this. We won this battle. And so 22,000 of them go home. And God says, no, 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 no. 10,000 is still too many. You're still going to hope in yourself. So remember, they go to the water, and it gets down to 300 men against the armies of the east. And you, may, you can read this in Judges chapter 7, but they, they, light the, they blow the trumpets and they smash the glasses and the armies in the east flee before them and God delivers them because he wants them to know trusting in your own strength is a false hope for victory. Fear the Lord. You want real hope? Fear the Lord. Trust in him. Psalm 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. God has perfect power, perfect counsel, perfect knowledge, perfect control. We fear him, we go to him, we run to him. We have a God-centered worldview. We fear the Lord. And the result is verse 20. And 21. Look here, this is where we're going to land this morning. Verse 20. Our soul waits. Look, look at the faith in these verses that comes from fearing the Lord. It's characterized by patience. Our soul waits for the Lord. Fear of the Lord, it, it produces confidence in us. It, he is our help and our shield. It gives us confidence. We can have faith. He's going to help us. He's going to protect us. It brings us joy, verse 21, for our heart is glad in him. It brings us trust because we trust in his holy name. Do you want to be trusting in the Lord? Do you want to have a glad heart full of faith, confident in God's deliverance that he will act on your behalf? Do you want to trust him and, and lean on him and, and have counsel for your soul? If so, let all the earth fear the Lord. And this is the fruit it produces in our lives. He will transform us as we counsel our souls. As we go to Psalm 33 and we remind ourselves, this is who God is. This is who God is. This is who God is. Our souls, our faith grows. Our confidence grows. Our joy grows. To fear the Lord is always good counsel for our soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for counsel you've given us for our souls. And I want to pray for the anxious heart. I pray for the one who struggles with fear. I pray for the person who came in this morning discouraged,
inward focused, aware of their failures, aware of how they've fallen short this week, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would lift their gaze to their powerful God who knows everything, has sovereignty and authority over all things, and who can help them in their time of need. Come and help us now, we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.